Alright, I've been given instructions today, so we've got to get on our horse and go. Alright, everybody got your Bibles? Got your iPad? iPhone? Android? Whatever else you may have. Good deal. We're going to look at lessons from a fig tree. You know, I've told you that <clears throat> you need to be careful in studying scripture because too many times we think as they have gone in the Bible, and they kind of put down a little heading. This is what this is about. And we'll read that, and then we'll go on to the next. And we sometimes give the impression, and we believe that we're completely detached. That the writers just wrote a lot of stuff down. But we proved last week, when we looked at the three of the parables, and again this week, we're going to look at a fig tree, the temple, and prayer. Now, you may not think those things have absolutely anything to do with each other, but they do. Remember, this is Passion Week. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he is. this is leading up to his crucifixion and burial and resurrection. So this is where we are. Jesus is still wanting to pour into the minds and the heart of his men, those that are going to take the gospel those that are going to be responsible for it. And he's still trying to strengthen them in their walk. So <clears throat> three years earlier, we're going to read, we could read in John 2, Jesus had a similar experience in the temple. That was at the beginning of his ministry. He made a whip and he went in and he cleansed the temple. Here it is again, three years and we're going to see that's needed again. Right now, let's look at Mark eleven twelve through 14. The next day. What day is that? Well, it was the day after the one previous, okay? Uh, as they were leaving Bethany. Bethany is where Jesus stayed in the evenings. He more than likely hung around Jerusalem to about the time the gates were closing. And he simply left with a crowd and he went to Bethany. They were leaving Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found out nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Don't let that fool you, okay? You remember the parable of the workers who got a... A Daenerys for one hour work, the same as those who had worked 12. And we said that many times, look at that. People say that's not fair. Well, wherever, yeah, it was right here. It was not the season for figs. However, let's go. When, <clears throat> then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So this is what they're hearing. Jesus is hungry. He sees this fig tree. And no doubt it was on the side of the road. And there's several things about the fig tree. No doubt it was in very good soil. It was in very good health. But here's what you need to know about fig trees. When the leaves appear, the figs appear. Okay? You just don't go to a fig tree and see Leaves and no figs, or figs and no leaves. And what's happening, this is probably about May, 
Uh, the time of harvest is in June. So it wasn't the season, but when Jesus looked, the thing that got his attention is that there were leaves all over it. So in his mind, he's saying the leaves are there, the figs are there, I'm going to go get it. You see, it had foliage ahead of time. And what happened was it gave an appearance of one thing, and in reality, there was something else. So Jesus cursed this fig tree. All right, know this about the fig tree. The fig tree has always symbolized Israel. And that symbolization of Israel is personified within the temple and its leaders. So these things are together. When you think of Israel, you think of temple. You think of the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish religion. When you think of figs, you think of Israel. And you think of the, the temple. They're all tied together. Understand something. This is the only destructive miracle that Jesus has ever done. Have you ever thought about that? He's healing blind eyes. He's calling cripples to stand up and walk. Everything that he does builds up and makes better except this one miracle. And he cursed a destructive curse on this fig tree. And that really symbolized the preview the upcoming of the destruction of that temple. One thing to note about the temple, it took Herod from about 20 A.D. to 64 A.D. to build that monstrosity. And if you've ever been to the Temple Mound, all of that was built by Herod. It was huge. And they only enjoyed it for six years. It was destroyed. In 28 or 70 AD. So Jesus is doing the opposite of what they expected the Messiah to do. They expected Messiah to affirm the Jewish religion. They expected the Messiah to set the Jewish people free, to be that military commander, to be that one that frees them, the one that turns the Jewish religion into the religion of all of the world. But instead, during Passion Week, he curses the tree. Let's look at Mark eleven fifteen through 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. That Here's the way the temple is set up. There are outward temples, and then there, there is a court of the Gentiles. Huge court. There is a wall between the uh, court of the Gentiles and the holy place, which is where the Jewish people uh, worship. And on that wall says... Basically, if you're a Gentile and you cross, go over this wall, you're dead because they weren't allowed there. But it was set aside for the Gentiles to worship, okay? He goes and he enters the temple courts and he begins driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those 
who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. We'll, we'll expound on that, okay? But let's, let's go ahead right now. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. That wasn't new. They've been looking for a way to kill Jesus for three years, three and a half years. But let's look at this. Why would Jesus be upset? Now, let me explain something. In order for a person to have a temple sacrifice, they either had to bring it with them from wherever they were in the world. Okay? When they came to Passover in Jerusalem, they would have to carry it. And as you know, the only way to get to Jerusalem is to go up. In fact, if you will read the songs, Psalms of Ascent, beginning in Psalm 123, you'll hear the songs that they sang as they begin to go and they visualize Jerusalem. Many times along the way, perhaps their lamb uh, was hurt, became crippled. It became a blemish and they couldn't offer it. Sometimes it would get away and just sometimes... It was impossible to bring it such a distance. So what they had set up, there was a section put aside that you could buy a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. You could buy meal. You could buy the doves that were needed to offer. In fact, if you remember, hark the herald angels sang. Those shepherds were watching the temple's flocks. And they would take them into the temple, and as people came, they would sell them a lamb or a pigeon for the sacrifice. Not only that, there was a temple tax that every Jewish male from 20 years old up had to pay. It was a half shekel. And there were people coming from Greece. There were, there were Romans that came in, and they had Greek and Roman coals, coins, which they could not use in the temple. And so they had money changers that was simply to change out their money. If you've ever traveled internationally, when you get there, you either go to inside a bank and you will exchange your money for their money. That all sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it? Well, here's what the scene Jesus saw. They, you see, to be a vendor in the temple, you had to pay a high price. Much higher than if you go out here to the flea market in Daytona and buy a table to sell something. It was a very high price because there was money to be made. And most often, the families of the high priest were the ones that were selling the sacrifice and changing the money. And so what was going on is they had spread out and the entire court of the Gentiles was bustling with business and commerce. There was an exorbitant exchange for, for the money. They had the people. They had to pay it. So they had to pay whatever the money changers said. And the money changers were crooked. 
That's where Jesus said they were a den of thieves and robbers. And those that were selling sacrifices, they put an exorbitant price on it simply because they had to have it. It's kind of like this. Y'all remember when hurricanes come? Two things disappear from the grocery store. I don't know why these two, but it's toilet paper and bread. I don't know if one's got anything to do with the other or what, but that's what disappears. And now you remember for two years, everything bad that happened, people blamed it on COVID. You'd want to go get something. They didn't have it. They'd say COVID, like, I really care. I mean, that's not an excuse. But it came down. People were paying it. <laughs> I love this. They were paying a lot of money for toilet paper. You, you all, there was almost a black market for toilet paper. You know, I, I like to watch those spy movies and I always had this in my mind. Somebody with a trench coat and a hat. They go in a blind alley and somebody walks up to them and said, you got any toilet paper? They said, yeah, how much? They tell them, well, that's too much. That's all right. No, got to have. I, I don't know. I made that movie up. That's what was going on. But the problem was the court of the Gentiles was not for vendors. The court of the Gentiles was for one thing, prayer. In 1 Kings 8, 41 through 43, this is, we, we get a clarification. As for the foreigner, a foreigner was anyone who was not a Jew, who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, the name they're talking about, it's Almighty God. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty land and your outstretched hand. And when they come and pray towards this temple, they're praying here. The temple is in front of them. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel. Understand something. The fallacy that was taught and believed for years is that salvation was only to the Jews. The Apostle Paul said it best. The Jews first and then the Gentiles. But all the way back, the gospel, the saving faith, has always been available to everyone. So when... Jesus got there, what he found was corrupt worship. There was no worship where it should have been. No worship in their outreach. No worship to those that really and truly needed a place to come and pray. Let's look at the next scripture, 19 to 26. That happened in the morning, cursing the fig tree. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Again, this is what I'm saying. Generally, probably about the time that all of the people, because you got to remember, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus. And they didn't want to worship him. They wanted to lay hands on him. So they would go with the crowd out the city. They saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you curse 
has withered. <laughs> Peter can wonderfully open his mouth, can't he? What he was saying was, isn't this amazing? You cursed the fig tree, and guess what, Jesus? It happened. Peter reminds me of me a lot, but he also reminds me of a frog I heard about. Frog was in Canada, and he was sitting on a pond. It started to snow, and two big old Canadian, or other several Canadian Greeks were there, and there were two near him. And they said, well, frog, we're leaving. And he said, where are y'all going? He said, we're going south for the winter. Fox said, man, I want to go south for the winter. He said, you don't have any wings. Frog said, but I got a great idea. He got a twig and he said, this goose, put that in your mouth. You put the other end in your mouth and I'll hold on to the twig with my mouth and we'll all go south. So they agreed. He put the twig in their, their uh, mouths and he took his mouth, wrapped around the twig. They took off and they were doing good. And they flew over Indiana and a farmer was in the field and he looked up and said, wow, what a miraculous sight. I have never seen anything as smart as that. Who in the world figured that out? And the frog said, me. Call opening your mouth at the wrong time. Peter was good at it. And when you look at the Lord's rebuke, let's have faith in God, Jesus answered. Now, I understand that when you read that in the Greek, I can't. I've got a strong concordance. But in the Greek, that was almost sarcastic. It was almost like Jesus saying, really? Wow, I didn't know that. Jesus said, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, excuse me, is that where I wanted to go? Let's go two more verses. So that your father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Okay. Next one. I may not have given that to you. I didn't. Sorry about that, Mike. Basically what Jesus is saying, I'll read it to you. Therefore, I tell you, if you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you will receive it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. When you look at Matthew 6.15, there's an explanation on the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness or your forgiveness. We're not going to go into that today. We're simply going to look at this statement. If you say unto this mountain, be you removed. Now, I've heard all kind of explanations. I've also heard all kind of cop-outs as to why it probably wasn't a real mountain. Again, I want you to understand something that I believe that if a mountain needs to be moved and you pray, God will move the mountain. Now that mountain may be a tr- mountain of troubles in your life. 
It may be associated with anything else. But the issue that Jesus is teaching here is that it doesn't matter. God can move a mountain. And when we pray, we that's saying to us, don't put limitations on God. Not only don't put limitations on it, on God, don't tell him how and when he should do something. And we Christians are very bad about that. We've got a plan of action. God, if you'll make sure this doctor comes and they set that bone just right, yada, 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 and we, we give God our expertise. But what we're doing is being a frog letting go of the twig, and we're just being fall. We're fall. We need to understand with the utmost power in our life that God has no limitations. And if you put limitations on God, you're putting God in a box. And you, this morning, if you have got a God in a box, and you figured out what he can do and what he can't do, that's not the God that will save your soul. My God has no limitation. Let's look at some scriptures. First John 5, 14 and 15 says this. This is the confidence. This is the belief. This is what settles me. We have an approaching God. That if we ask, love this word. What is this word? Anything according to his will, he hears us. Let me stop just a second. We're not going to go into a whole thing about what his will is. Because if you look in the word of God, the will of God is very certain, okay? In the Bible, it will not tell you if your name is John, you should marry Mary. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. And most often when people think about the will of God, it's like, should I buy this car? Should I buy the house? Should I marry this person? Should I... All kind of stuff that simply doesn't matter, folks. It's the deeper things. God has said is that his will is all should be saved. God has said that it is his will that we prosper and be in good health, even as our soul prospers. God has said that it is his will that we be a living reflection of, Of God himself. That's the will of God. And when we pray according to the will of God, he hears us. Now, that's important. God doesn't have hearing problems. He hears that prayer. Okay? And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let's look at John or Matthew 17, 20. He replied, because you have so little faith... Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. You see, he's simply saying in this teaching, don't put limitations on me. If you have faith, how much faith? The smallest amount of faith will take care of that mountain. All you do is exercise it to the point that you believe God. Jesus, have faith in God. Psalms 
37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will do this. Commit your way to the Lord. Then trust Him. Proverbs 16.3 Commit to the Lord whatever you do. He will establish your plans. Always remember that. Another proverb that Solomon wrote said, The plans of a man are in his mind, but it's the Lord that bring them to pass. What am I wanting you to see this morning? Don't promise something that you're not. Don't promise something that you're not. Don't walk around all spiritual, trying to look spiritual if you're not. Don't walk around giving the appearance if you have fruit if you don't. Because you're under the damnation of God. What God is looking for is authenticity. And what God gives us is the authentic thing. Just be who you are. If that fig tree had been a fig tree with leaves and figs, still be going today. Secondly, worship. God hates corrupt worship because it says it's not worship. What is corrupt worship? Well, the busyness of our minds as we come in to worship. The things that we still have rolling around in our head. The battles that we're still fighting. We come in with them and we leave with them. And then he says, have faith in God. We need to understand that God is holy. We need to understand that God is powerful. And it's not our our deal to understand how God works and when he works. It's simply that when we pray, desiring the will of God, he answers that prayer. Why was it so important for Jesus to talk about this? Think about it. Up until the time of Jesus' death, they never had prayed to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? They didn't know what to think about. They just go ask him. After he's gone, they were going to have to learn to pray. They were going to be like us. We don't see a visible, physical Jesus walking in our midst. But we're praying to a Jesus who hears us, who is alive, who is enthroned, who has promised prayer of faith will be answered. Fathers, we come to you today. The greatest prayer of faith is, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I ask you to come into my life. If there's someone here today, I pray, dear God, that does not have a relationship with you, whether they are listening online or seated here in this auditorium, I pray today would be that day they invite you in. Lord, if there are Christians with God in a box, Lord, an altar is a good time to get rid of them. God, you are not measurable. You've said as a hint, heaven is your throne, the earth is your footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? Dear God, let's throw off restraints that we have put on you. In Jesus' name.